1: My name's Todd Schaefer, and my wife Molly and I are happy to be with you this morning. Um, It's nice to see your smiling eyes, if not the whole face. Um, The scripture this morning is from the second chapter of Job. In the earlier verses, Job has met already with every imaginable affliction and calamity, and his wife has attempted to give him rather prescriptive advice, and now he's meeting with his friends. Now when Job's three friends heard of all these troubles that had come upon him, each of them set out from his home, Eliphaz the Telemite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamite. They met together to go and console and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was great.
2: Love of mine, someday you will die, but I'll be close behind, I'll follow you into the dark, the blinding light, with tunnels to gates of white just our hands clasp so tight waiting for the hint of a spark and heaven and hell decide that they both are satisfied illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs and there's no one beside you when your soul embarks now far. School as vicious as Roman rule. I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black, and I held my tongue as he told me, "Son, fear is the heart of love." So I never went back. If heaven and hell. that they both are satisfied Illuminate the notes on their vacancy signs There's no one beside you when your soul embarsed And I'll follow you into the dark You and me have seen everything from Bangkok to Calgary And the soles of your shoes are all worn down The time for sleep is now But it's nothing to cry about Cause we'll hold each other soon In the blackest of rooms That they both are satisfied Illuminate the notes on their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you When you're sold in bars Then I'll follow you into the dark Soul and bars, and now follow you into the dark. Gracious and
0: loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, thank you, Judy for that wonderful song. You may have noticed, if you've been coming to Epworth for a while, that our musical range is broad. We go from uh, the amazing classical organ pieces that our music minister, Jerry Ashheim plays often uh, uh, before the, the main service begins and as po- postlude, To pieces like what Judy just played from a band that goes by the enigmatic name of Death Cab for Cutie, to everything in between. So let me take this opportunity now to invite you to share your musical gifts with the broader community at Epworth in instrumental or vocal leadership. In this time when our singing as a group, as a congregation is curtailed, we have the opportunity to get even more creative like we did in our, our, we've been doing in our first hymn with more love. Um, And hear from folks maybe who we haven't heard from yet. I'm looking forward later in the service to hearing from Randall Miller. So Randall, thank you for modeling and, and an invitation to all. Uh, to be a part of the, the musical expression and leadership in our services. Whenever I hear the song that Judy just played, I'm taken back to one of the open mic nights at the campus ministry at UC Davis, where I served for 14 years. Open mic nights there, and I think in, in practically any community, are a terrific time to be surprised and blessed by the giftedness that exists in a particular community. You don't even have any idea what talent is out there until an open mic night invites people to show up. And on that particular night, one of the students who was new to the campus ministry but had quickly become very engaged in the community put his name on the list. Now, this student had been a youth and a student leader of a very conservative Christian group And he came to our our Progressive United Methodist ministry as a resident of the multi-faith living community. The multi-faith living community was a new program of the campus ministry consisting of six townhouses that we'd built behind the main campus ministry building. It housed 42 students from seven different faith backgrounds. And I don't know if he had an inkling of maybe proselytizing and trying to convert students of non-Christian faith to his brand of Christianity, or if he, was just, if he was just drawn to the idea of being able to be immersed in his own faith as he pursued his studies and, and sharing about his faith, faith with others. There was a clear and articulated prohibition against proselytizing in the multi-faith community, But this young man held a faith that really didn't distinguish between faithfulness and an attempt to convert. In any case, shortly after moving in, he began to be engaged in deep theological conversations with Jews and Buddhists, Sikhs, Muslims, and other Christians, uh, different Christians than the ones he had known. He experienced these persons not as persons in need of his words and his worldview, but as persons of deep faith and integrity. And what he had previously believed that Christian faith was necessary for salvation began to be less clear. His firm foundation began to crumble. And soon this young man was deep in a crisis of faith. When it was his turn at the open mic night, he took out his guitar and sang the song you just heard Judy play, I'll Follow You Into the Dark. Most of this student community of 60 or so students knew what this young man was struggling with. The words of the song, If Heaven and Hell Decide, that they both are satisfied. Illuminate the nose on their vacancy signs. If there's no one beside you when your soul embarks, I'll follow you into the dark. These words took on deep meaning as this young man sang these words for all who are present. For him, letting go of a strict worldview with clear boundaries. For him, this was a tremendous act of courage, as it, as it really is for anyone who lets go of boundaries that hold us in. But it was also an act of grief and of grace. He finished to a spellbound group. Moved to respond not with the customary shouts and applause, but with reverence and silence. The room was completely still. There are moments when the best response to suffering and loss and even transformation is to just be with, without words without questions, without advice. There are moments when words cannot carry the weight of what is being experienced. In these moments, the truest reflection of respect and compassion is to sit with another in silence. And this is what we encounter in our scripture today from Job. Though many aspects of our Holy Scriptures deal with suffering, the book of Job is unique in that it is wholly a theological exploration on suffering. In the first chapter, Job is described as blameless, meaning complete, finished, having integrity, and wholesome. And he is described as upright, meaning esteemed, right, and just. He's good, he's trustworthy. He does the right thing. Job has a big, happy family, and his business is prosperous. A humble and faithful man, he also uh, was concerned and, and didn't expect his children to be perfect, so he regularly offered prayers and repentance on their behalf. A faithful man. But then what happens? In a bizarre twist of the story that is framed as a challenge from Satan to God, Tragedy and calamity befall Job. He loses his business, his livestock, his home, and all of his children, all ten of his children, are tragically killed. And yet, even in the face of all of this, he praises God and says, naked and with nothing I came into this world, and naked and with nothing I will go out. And then the suffering gets worse. His health is taken away from him, and he's covered in painful sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. The intent of the book of Job, in part, is to show a person who is in the depth of suffering, who has been stripped of every good thing. The intent, in part, is to show us, the reader, what it is to suffer and what when that whatever you suffer, whatever causes you pain or despair, Job knows. Job has been there too. Do you know how Job feels? Maybe the specific things that happened to Job haven't happened to you or to someone you love or maybe they have. As we head into the second half of the second year of this pandemic... Losses are real. We struggle to overcome racism and combat racial violence. We are in pain. We are in pain at the racism that persists and we have to push back on the despair and cynicism that can arise at the slowness of change. We feel the fractures of our world and of our communities. Sometimes we can feel like giving up. What do you need? What do you need? Well, into this scene from our scripture today walk Job's friends, Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They hear of Job's suffering and they say, let's go together to Job and offer him our sympathy and comfort him. And so they set off And when they see him in the distance, they rip their clothes and rub ashes on their heads, which was a sign of grief and compassion at the time. They weep. They sit with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, saying nothing. Because, as the scripture says, they saw how great his suffering was. Wow. Now that's a trio of friends we could all use. And without going farther into the book of Job where his, where his, his, his friends do something different that we're not going to talk about today, <laughs> let's pause right here. Let's pause right here. Because in the face of all the suffering around us, we can get tripped up like, like Job's friends eventually did, feeling like, like there's something we should say. We can get tripped up feeling like we don't know how to respond and so we say something. We don't know how to help those we love. But, but in this moment, in this seven days and seven nights moment, Job's friends give us a roadmap for a compassionate response in the, si- in the face of suffering. First and foremost, they, they were tuned in and they showed up. The scripture says they heard about Job's troubles and they came. Suffering and isolation are inextricably linked. To be isolated is to suffer. I'm not talking about being alone and, and the peace that comes from solitude. I'm talking about isolation. To be isolated is to suffer. Elphaz and Bildad and Zophar were aware enough, connected enough to their friend Job that they, they knew of what had happened to him. And when they heard, they came. Even if you are speechless and empty handed, never underestimate the power of showing up. It may seem like a simple thing, but it is not. Particularly for Christians, we believe in an embodied faith. Later in the service, when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup in Holy Communion, we are enacting one of our core truths that the body of Christ lives on in us. And it's our job to show up in the world and to those in need in body, presence here. On this World Communion Sunday, we join with Christians all over the world in saying, God is here. Jesus is here. We are here. And we are one body. And we will show up in body. Now, sometimes that body is a virtual body. But we will show up in body. Second, Job's friend's coordinated with each other and affirmed that they were in community with him, expressing their compassion and their solidarity. They showed him that his tears were their tears and that his suffering was their suffering. Compassion literally means to suffer with. In Buddhism, there is a practice called Tonglen. I've spoken of this before. Maybe you know of this practice, Tonglen. It's a challenging practice. And simply put, it is a practice of meditation and breathing that breathes in suffering, transforms it in one's body, and breathes out healing and peace. As people who practice an embodied faith, we Christians would do well to embrace a Tonglin like practice of our own. And this is what I imagine Job's friends doing as they sat with him, not in passive presence, but in active, compassionate, transformative solidarity. Third, and perhaps most importantly, they sat with him in silence, waited for him to tell them what he needed and they stayed. They stayed. Seven days of silence is a long time. It is also a symbolic amount of time. In Jewish and Christian tradition, seven symbolizes completeness. You remember the story of creation. In seven days, creation was complete. And though our scripture for today Doesn't go this far after those seven days, that's when Job begins to talk. It's a significant thing that Job's friends didn't speak before he did. They waited for him to speak his need and they stayed. Three simple steps that are not so simple at all being connected and showing up, active solidarity and compassion and waiting on another to tell us what they need. Now, I don't mean to suggest that Job's friends might not have been struggling with something of their own. Maybe they were. The way life is, more than likely they were. But sometimes the best way to feel relief from our own suffering is to put our attention on the suffering of another. Well, back to that open mic night at UC Davis some years ago. The profound pain of this student was evident as he finished playing and singing, I'll follow you into the dark. But as the days passed and his newfound multi-faith community stayed with him, a new path opened up. It was a new path that embraced difference, that sought understanding, and and on which God, uh, a a much more complex God, was waiting for him, a God he needed. He graduated later that year heading to one of the former Soviet republics through the Peace Corps. I saw him a few years ago, um, I believe it was 2015, so about four years after that night, that open mic night, We were both at the United Nations General Assembly. I was there for my work with Fellowship of Reconciliation and he was accompanying a group of students who were doing peace work. He was a picture of a man at peace. So today we ask the question, what do you need? And I hope you will ask this question of your friends, your family members and your acquaintances. And today, may we remember that we are all in need of the solace that a faithful friend can bring. On this World Communion Sunday, let us seek to meet that need by truly being the body of Christ, showing up in body with compassion, active solidarity, and persistence. And let us remember that as we sit in silence With our own suffering or the suffering of another, God will send angels to us, friends for the journey, as the way opens up to even deeper understanding and relationship with who God is and who God calls us to be as God meets our need wherever we are. Amen.
2: Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here. Oh,
0: Have a great
3: week. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, Thou who rulest wind and water, Stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the hosts of hell assail and my strength begins to fail. Thou who never lost a battle Stand by me In the midst of faults and failures Stand by me In the midst of faults and failures Stand by me When I've done the best I can My friends, misunderstand. Thou who knowest all about me, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When my foes in your array Undertake to stop my way Thou who saved Paul and Silas Stand by me When I'm growing old and feeble Stand by me When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden and I'm here in Chile.